So we are up to point D of Unit 6 of The Gospel is the Power. Unit 6 is Power to Stand. And our foundation scripture for this unit is Ephesians 6.13, which is, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you might be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Hallelujah. So again, we don't study these things to be complicated. We study to be simple. God has made it simple for us, and all we have to do is stand in what Jesus already did for us. Sometimes we make things way too complex. When God, Jesus, told us to be like little children, little children are not complicated. It's simple. So if your warfare strategy is something that a child cannot understand, I'm highly suspect that you're being led by the Spirit of the Lord, by Christ in you, who made it simple. Jesus did all the hard work for us so that we can have the simplicity of just standing in the finished work of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection for us. Us. So you part D is taking up the armor of God. And I know that a lot of people have heard teachings on the armor of God, but we've just come out of point C, which was really getting a different understanding of the biblical background of the armor of God and how even Jesus put on armor to come into this world. So if Jesus as the Messiah, if the Messiah, if God in the flesh had to put on this spiritual armor, how much more so do we need to put this armor on and make sure that we are standing in the armor of God that even Jesus used and wore when he was in this world? So our our verse actually picks up from what we just quoted from Ephesians 6, starting with verse 14. This is about the armor of God. So stand, therefore, it doesn't say do all sorts of fancy gymnastics, doesn't say come up with all these spiritual techniques and all this fancy stuff you got to do. No, just stand. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Hallelujah. So we're just going to go through, and I I won't belabor the point because I know a lot of you are not new to the Bible. If you're listening to this, you probably have some experience in the Word of God. But this is so important to every aspect of our daily lives and how we are going about in our daily lives that we are going to do a recap of the each of these elements of the armor of God. So the first one, gird your loins with the belt of of truth. So first things first, and we're going to do this for every single piece of the armor, because Paul, when he was writing Ephesians, he articulated it several times in this, you know, 14 to 17. That's not that many verses, but he kept saying, 
things to the effect of, you have to gird yourself. You have to put it on. Yes, Jesus did all the hard work for you. Now you have to stand in it. You have to believe it. You have to do your part. And what you do is going to prove if you're really standing in it or not. So with the belt of truth, you have to put the belt on. Gird yourself. What does gird mean? So literally in the Greek, I don't even know how to pronounce that word. It's in your study guide. But to fasten garments with a girdle or a belt, to fasten one's belt. And then you see uh, definition number three is metaphorically to equip one's self with knowledge of the truth. Okay, hello. So there we go. You have to equip yourself with knowledge of the truth. Jesus said this. James said this. Paul said this. The Bible says this again and again. So in Matthew 7, verse 7, what did Jesus say? Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. And those verses go on. Jesus said, to everyone who asks, to everyone who seeks, to everyone who knocks, they're going to get an answer from God. They're going to get the answer. They're going to find what they're looking for. It's going to be open to you, right? He says, everyone who does that, God desires and longs to guide you into the truth, but you've got to pursue it. And this is a a powerful thought. You know, even before I was a believer, I loved the truth. I had a hatred for hypocrisy. I had a hatred for people who didn't do what they said. And I I really just desired to know the truth. And even in my coming into salvation, I was willing to lay aside everything that was not true because I had such a strong hunger and thirst and desire for the truth. Whatever it cost me, whatever it meant I might be wrong about, I just wanted the truth. And so I set my heart as I came to know God. Even before I came to know God, I, I, what I guess what I'm saying is I believe that part of, of the reason that led into my salvation is because what I desired was the truth. And I believe that there are many people out there that they truly, in their heart, they desire the truth. Now, some don't. They, they're very happy and content in their deception, or at least they think they are. But there's a there's a hunger and a thirst for the truth, and there's a desire for that. And once they find that in Jesus, their life is never the same. But I've gone on a, a slight tangent. Bear with me. We're putting on the belt of truth, and you've got to put it on. You've got to ask. You've got to seek. You've got to knock. And it will. If you seek for the truth, you will find Jesus. Why? Because He said, "I am the truth. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life." That's Jesus speaking. If you're looking for the truth, you're going to find Jesus. James, when he was talking about this, put it this way. He phrased it more in the light of wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Ask God. Don't ask your mom. Don't ask your dad. Don't ask your friend. They might be wrong. Ask God, who gives wisdom generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. God desires to give you wisdom. God will prove himself to be God if you will listen to the wisdom that he gives you. And those verses also go on. James makes it clear. Once you get that wisdom from God, you 
have to believe that you have received it. Because if you don't, then you're double-minded. And if you're double-minded, you should not expect to receive anything from God. But if you lack wisdom, ask God. Ask God. You have to put on the belt of truth. You need to seek the Lord for the wisdom that you're looking for. Paul said to Timothy, uh, this is the New King James Version, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That doesn't mean your pastor has to rightly divide the word of truth. He does and or she does, and they will give account to the Lord for whether or not they are rightly dividing the word of truth. But what Paul is saying to anyone, you need to be diligent. You need to study the word. You need to not just be a spectator who's sitting on your butt in a seat in the church or in your house listening to YouTube videos or whatever while someone else has done all the work to study the word and divide it rightly, but you have never approached the word for yourself. You need to be diligent. You need to learn how to rightly divide the word of truth, and you need to seek out people that can teach you or give you the tools of how to rightly divide the word of truth so that you're not just coming up with your own methodologies and and finding yourself going astray. But all of these tools, you know, in my life, the Lord had me give away everything I own and including everything in my bank account. So guess what? At the end of that, I had nothing. And for years, I lived in true poverty. I could not afford to buy these fancy Bible study tools. Everything that I used was publicly available or freely available. There are online resources or or things like that. But really what I did, the Lord told me to meditate on the Word of God day and night, and that's what I did. I read the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, not all of these other frou-frou books that are compromised and worldly and using Scripture out of context to try to make you feel better about your otherwise worldly life. No, read the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, read the Bible for yourself. I'm laughing because it seems so obvious, but we we always want something that is less than the perfect thing that Jesus, you know, gave us. So let's go for that. You need to learn how to rightly divide the word of truth. And I just quoted from this, but in the book of Joshua, what the word of God says is you need to meditate on the word day and night, and you need to be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Why? Because then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. So I see a lot of people chasing all kinds of success in all kinds of ways. You know what will make you successful in God's sight? Meditate on the word day and night. Listen to what the word of God has to say for your life. Do what the word of God says, and God will guide you into success. And yes, there will even be prosperity that goes with that, maybe not in the way that you're thinking or dreaming or lusting after, but you will be prosperous and you will have success in the sight of the Lord. So again, we're putting on the belt of truth to gird your 
Loins. Well, what are loins? Okay, we want to keep this G-rated. I'm not going to talk about what loins are, but they are the most sensitive part of your body. Not only are they the most sensitive part of the body, they are where your life power, your ability as a human being to reproduce and regenerate life, that's all in your loins. If your loins are not covered, you might really have a serious problem, and your life force, metaphorically here, people, might be cut off. If you don't have the belt of truth girding your loins, your nakedness is exposed. Your human frailty, your failings, your tender weaknesses, everything is on display, okay? That's a very dangerous thing. If you were a soldier in a battle, which what Paul is doing by calling this the armor of God, we are soldiers in a battle. Do you want to go on the battlefield with your loins exposed? I don't think so. If you do, you're a whole different kind of warrior. I don't even want to go there. Don't go out on the battlefield with your loins exposed. You need to put the belt on. The belt is what keeps your pants from falling down. If you're on the battlefield and your pants fall down because you haven't put the belt of truth on for yourself, you're going to have a serious problem on the battlefield and you're going to be humiliated on the battlefield. This is serious stuff. You've got to know the truth for yourself. So what is the truth? So there are different ways of looking at this. So the truth, now I'm not saying that there's more than one truth, but the truth, we'll talk about that the truth is the word of God, Jesus is the truth, and the Holy Spirit is the truth. But the truth pertains to this word, the word for truth in the Bible it means the reality of a thing. The reality, what you really, truly believe in your heart. So God is looking for worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. Now, people will quote that all the time. But just because you can quote that scripture and say, God, I want to worship in spirit and in truth, what you're saying by the definition of the word for truth used there is, God, I want to worship you in the spirit, which if you're not a believer and you don't have the Holy Spirit, you are incapable of worshiping God in the spirit. You've got to believe Jesus in order to worship God in the spirit. To worship God in truth means it's real. It's not just in your mouth. It's in your life. It's not just something you can quote. It's what you demonstrate through your actions. So the truth, it's a word aletheia in the Greek. What is true in any matter or under consideration? It is the reality of a matter with certainty. What is true pertaining to God and the duties of man? And then the last definition is truth as a personal excellence, the candor of mind, which is free from affection, pretense, simulation, falsehood, and deceit. Did you catch that? It's who you really are, what you really believe. So the the Pharisees were a great example of what this is not. So to be a hypocrite, a hypocrite, the Greek word for hypocrite means actor. 
It does. It's not someone who is two faced. It's an actor, someone who puts on a show on the outside to look good or to be what they think you want them to be or to be what they think God wants them to be. But the reality of their heart is not aligned with the outward show that they're putting on. It's like an actor in a play that's reading lines of a character speaking that is not who they actually are. The actor can be on the stage playing a part or on the screen playing a part. But when they go home, who are they really? The truth, God sees you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He's looking, do you put on a show? Or are you in the reality, spirit and reality, worshiping God in spirit and reality, in the reality of the depths of your soul? Are you free from pretending, from simulating, from deceit, from falsehood, from from trying to put on an outward show or display that is not authentically who you are? Do your actions and your life demonstrate that you revere God, that you fear God, that you love God, that you believe God, that you seek God, that you desire to be pleasing to God? Is this really what your actions demonstrate? This is truth. So it's not just what is true, but how is that truth being revealed in your life? So We already said the word of God is truth. Jesus even said, this was his last prayer, the high priestly prayer of John 17. He said, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. I can't say it enough. You've got to know the word of God for yourself. You know, there are examples in the Bible, especially in the the end part of the book of Judges. Everyone was doing what was right in their own sight. And there are some really catastrophic examples from those chapters where, you know, there's a guy who steals money from his mother, but then he returns it and she praises God. You know, she seems to neglect to understand that stealing is wrong. She's just so happy that he brought it back that she sets up a, a an idol to commemorate this. You know, people are doing crazy things. Well, then a Levite walks by and they're like, hey, be a priest to us and, you know, come into our house and be a priest to our family. Well, if they knew the word of God, they would know that this was against the rules. That's not the way God set it up to be. And their thought in these chapters, it probably around Judges 19, maybe 20, something around there, um, you know, they're really thinking, and this is in the word of God, they're like, yeah, God's going to really bless us now because we got we got a priest in our house. And it's like, no, actually, the very thing that you think is so great is the very thing that disgusts God. Because it is against the rules. It is against the order. It is against the way that he set up, which is the truth. And so if you do what's right in your own sight, yeah, God's not necessarily going to bless that. Sorry. You, you know, you've got to know what is right in God's sight. And how can you find that out? Meditate on the word of God. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The word will bring you into alignment with God. Once you understand what God's will is from the word of God, 
and you put it into practice, your life will become sanctified and purified because you won't be doing what's right in your own sight. You'll start doing what is right in God's sight. Hallelujah. So Jesus is also the truth. I quoted this already, but he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we've talked about this already in this course, but people who I disciple, they hear me say this all the time. Jesus is our plumb line of God's perfect will in action. If you don't see Jesus doing something, you probably don't need to be doing that yourself. Jesus is perfect theology lived out. Jesus is the truth. He is the image of the invisible God, okay? The Holy Spirit is also the spirit of truth. This is one of the first things when Jesus started telling his disciples in in his own way, because he he had to keep the, the mystery of God a mystery until the resurrection and the ascension. But he was telling the disciples as much as he possibly could while he was with them on the last night of his life. And he talks about the Holy Spirit. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth. So the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, and he dwells with you and will be in you. Okay? The spirit of truth comes to dwell inside those who genuinely believe that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. And for those of you, I talked about this before, I, I'm I'm passionate about this because God has sent me into many villages where people are illiterate and they're probably not going to become literate in their lifetime and it's not even a priority to them. They are serving God. How? By the Spirit of of truth. And it's not that nobody in their village can read a Bible or that that's not a priority for their children to to learn how to read or things like that, but I have met some of the most precious saints. They are filled with the spirit, the holy spirit, the spirit of truth, and God guides them even though they cannot read the word of God. God guides them by the spirit of truth. So in these in western cultures where we have you know 6 to 20 bibles in every house and nobody reads any of them or you just read them you know for for your own purposes or whatever you know you think that you're superior because you have all of these bibles but you know even if you were unable to read the Bibles, or if the Bibles at some point somehow become globally illegal and nobody can get their hands on a Bible anymore, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. We can put, we can gird our loins, we can put the belt of truth on by abiding in the Holy Spirit, submitting ourselves to the Holy Spirit, listening to the Holy Spirit, doing what the Holy Spirit says. This is absolutely a critical element of walking in the truth and putting on the belt of truth. Even as we read the Word of God, it is the Holy Spirit who gives us the proper interpretation of the Word of God and continues to guide us into all truth. And that's the next scripture in your study guide from John 16. Same night, the night of Jesus' betrayal, he's telling his disciples the most important stuff before he's about to be betrayed and crucified. He says, when the Spirit of truth comes— he will guide you into all the truth. Did he say he'll guide you into 
yeah, pieces of the truth, a little bit of the truth, a portion of the truth. No, if you keep seeking him, if you keep listening to him, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Wow, I'm so tempted to go off on that because there's like so, it's such an exciting verse. I've got to keep myself focused on putting on the belt of truth. Okay, without a belt, we touched on this. Without a belt or a belt that is not properly fastened, so you you might have a belt, but if your belt's in your closet, it's not keeping your pants up, okay? It's not even holding the wall up. It's just hanging there as like a piece of leather on your wall. Useless. Without a belt or without a belt that's fastened properly, put together properly, your pants are going to fall down or you might cut your circulation off if you tie it too tight. You know, there are all sorts of things you can do incorrectly with a belt if you don't know what you're doing with it. Without a belt, you are vulnerable. Your nakedness is exposed. That's your humanity. That's not being in Christ. All of your unrighteousness exposed. Your life force exposed. On the battlefield, that's not okay. Okay? So Jesus, again, our example, he was put under greater testing and duress than we will ever know knowing that he was going to be betrayed, going to the cross, care, like being tortured, being brutally treated, as we talked about in the prior unit, that Jesus was under such duress to deny the truth. But he lived his life without hypocrisy. He lived for the truth. He worshiped God in spirit. He had the Holy Spirit in him, and he worshiped God in truth. No matter what came against him, he stood in the truth. His faith in God, his faith in God's redemptive plan for his life was so strong. It was the reality of his life. It wasn't just something that he talked about or quoted about or really had nice things to say about or even wrote books about. It was the reality of his life, no matter how much pressure was put on him.